You must stand tonight. Hallelujah. We're spending some of the most valuable moments of our life when we come to the house of the Lord. I'm convinced that we do not spend any more precious time in our life than what we spend when we come to the house of God and hear the word of the Lord. It's on services like tonight that people hear the most important message of their life. It's on services like tonight that people make a decision that determines where they live forever and ever and ever. There's no way to put a price tag on the value of a Sunday night service like this tonight. Before this service is over, people are going to make decisions on what they're going to do with the word of the Lord that they hear. And the decisions that they make is going to determine where they live forever and ever and ever. There are people under the sound of my voice tonight that are headed in the wrong direction. Some of you I have reached for you the last few service nights. And you've got to make up your mind what you really want out of life. And you're headed somewhere. You're going somewhere. And the place that you're going, when you get there, you're going to be there forever and ever and ever. And you've got to get all your marbles in the right sack in this life. If you don't do what you need to do on this present world that we're living in, uh, there's not going to be a second chance. Not going to be a hope after life. Somewhere between the time of birth and the time of death. If you don't prepare to meet your God and make peace with God. When you die, it's over with. And there's no way for me to frame it in the words of my vocabulary. The horribleness of dying lost. People are doing it every day. People have died and went out into an endless eternity since we've started this service. Somebody's spending their first ten minutes in hell tonight. In a hell that maybe they didn't even believe in and didn't think they were going there. There are people that are going to go to hell tonight that had plans for tomorrow. Told people they would meet them at certain places and they were going to do certain things. But they're not going to sleep between clean sheets tonight. They're going to make their bed in a red-hot burning hell. And the sad thing about it is a hundred million years from now, they're going to be in a bottomless pit. And they're going to be separated from God. And they're going to be lost forever. We're playing, not games, but we're in serious business tonight. I'm going to be preaching to souls that a hundred million years from now you're going to be alive. And every day that you live in sin and every message that you hear that goes unheeded, your chances of being saved becomes more slim. Every message that fails to touch you puts you in a more dangerous position than you've ever been in your life. In fact, you're in a more dangerous position tonight than you was last night or the night before or the night before that. And when this service closes, if you don't find God, you're going to be closer to hell and the judgment of God than you have ever been. 
I do not believe that it's just a coincidence that, that I've come here. I believe that God had it ordained before the foundations of the earth. I'm here and you're here. And there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Some people don't believe that scripture. They don't believe the word of God. But he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. There's two conditions of the soul that are mentioned in this portion of Scripture that I've read in your hearing tonight. According to the Bible, every one of us that is here is headed in one of two directions. We're going to heaven or we're headed toward hell. And it would be horrifying tonight to look into the hearts of every individual here and see where you're really going. Not everybody that claps their hands and say they love Jesus is going to heaven. Some of them are headed toward hell tonight. I want to talk to you tonight about the destiny of your soul. The destiny of your soul. In Jesus' name, anoint your word. Amen. And you may be seated. Where are you going? Where are you really headed? When I ask you a question of where you're going, where are you headed in, what direction is your life going in, I'm not talking about this temporal world that we're living in and what kind of plans you have for the near future. I'm not really interested tonight in what you plan to accomplish in this present world as far as how much money you want to make or what kind of car you want to drive or what kind of house you want to live in uh, or what kind of education that you plan to get. I'm talking about something a lot more serious than what your plans are in the near future. It's not really that important what you plan on doing in the frivolous things of life uh, the next few days or the next month to come. But I'm looking deeper in that, and my question is more probing than that. I'm looking in on the soul that's living and breathing on the inside of every human being that is in this building tonight. And I want to ask you something, young person. I want to ask you something, ma'am, sir. Where are you headed? Where are you really going? Where is your life really headed in? What direction? You're either going in one of two directions. You are either at this very moment in a saved condition, and salvation means more to you than anything else, and you've given everything to God, and you're... You are striving to enter in that place of eternal bliss. Or either you're not in the perfect will of God, and your, your desires are not in things above. 
and you have not given everything to God, and you are on your way to your soul's destruction forever and ever and ever. I hate to say it tonight, but the very environment that we live in is not conducive uh, for us making heaven our home. In fact, we're living in a very dark and bleak world, and the devil, the God of this world, has blinded the eyes of men and women, and the music of this world, and the philosophy of this world, and the very atmosphere of this world is bent toward a hell-bound course. The very course of this world, if you just stand where you're standing and don't move, you don't have to do anything. It is like an escalator that will take you down to a bottomless pit. We're living in a world where the devil starts out early in all of our lives and trying to destroy us and trying to undermine us. I preached a revival meeting a while back in the city of Houston. And there was a junior high school there of 1,200 students. And this is ages between 11 years old and 14 years old. And they ran a survey and they gave a questionnaire. And it was not going to, I don't guess, be known of the parents what the answers were. Uh, the children were put in a position where they could openly talk about what was going on in their life. And they discovered that out of those 1,200 junior high school students that was between the age of 11 years old and 14 years old, that 87% of them were already involved in alcohol and involved in illegal drugs and, and many horrible, terrible habits. I heard that and that told me that 87 out of every 100 of those young people just at an early age in their life was already in trouble. Trouble that maybe mama didn't know anything about and daddy didn't know anything about, but their life was already being set in a direction to destroy them and to take good things out of their life and to form habits in their life that would cause their soul to be lost and held down forever and ever and ever. And if tonight I could look into the hearts and the lives of every individual that is here, I wonder what I would discover. I wonder if I would see some people that deep down inside you've already made a turn in a wrong direction. I wonder if I would discover tonight that already, even though it may not be evident on the outside, that you have no desire to serve God and you're not hungry for God to touch you tonight. And, and on the inside, there's already decisions being made and the die is already being set. And you're on your way to destruction. You're already headed down a road that is going to be a road of no return unless somewhere in the near future the Word of God touches you and you change your mind, and you change your thinking. I don't believe that it is that anybody here tonight intends on making hell your home. If I would ask for a show of hands of everyone that wants to go to hell, I don't think there would be anybody with a sound mind that would raise your hand and say, Yes, I intend on dying lost. If I would die tonight, I'd want to go to hell. That's, that's where I plan on going. 
I want to go to a place where there's no comfort and there's no rest and my soul is engulfed in flames and there's no water to drink and I want to do like that rich man. I want to cry out of the very flames of hell. Yes, yes, I, I intend on dying and being lost. No, in the back of every person's mind in this building, you think that you're going to be different. and You think that you're going to be smarter than other people have been. And, and you believe that you're going to play your cards just right. And right at the very right moment, you are going to find God. And I want to tell you something, mister. There's not but 52 cards in the deck. And, and you're going to run out one of these days, young person. You're not going to always be where you're at, and you're not going to always feel what you're feeling. The impact of the gospel is not always going to have the effect on your life that it is having on your life tonight. And so it is not that people intend on going to hell, but without a shadow of a doubt, no doubt, I will preach to somebody here tonight that when it's all said and done, the curtain is drawn in your life, you will go to hell forever. When we talk about being saved, now we would all say that we want to go to heaven and we intend on being saved one of these days and nobody would raise their hand and say, yes, I want to go to hell or you intend on going to heaven. But what is it about heaven that would cause you to say, yes, one day I want to be saved? Is it just the fact that you'd like to go to a place where there's streets of gold and walls of jasper and gates of pearl. When you think about it as I to go to heaven, is it just for the simple reason that you would like to live in a mansion or you would like to get away from a world of trouble and, and disappointment and discouragement? And you would like to be in a place where there's no sickness and there's no disease and, and there's no affliction? I'm convinced that our reasons for going to heaven has got to be greater than just walls of jasper and gates of pearl. And I believe that our desires to go to heaven has got to be greater than just a selfish desire of getting out of a world that's troubled and out of a world that is full of disappointments. And there are two main reasons that must be in the life of every soul here tonight if you make heaven your home. The first reason for going to heaven that's got to be in the life of every individual that is saved is simply this. We have got to have a desire to see Jesus. We've got to fall in love with Jesus. We've got to want to see Him. A few years ago, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I recognized that Jesus was the greatest friend that I have ever had. I realized that he died on Calvary and he gave his life for me. And the reason that I'm here tonight and the reason that I live the way I live, the greatest reason that I want to go to heaven is because one day I want to see Jesus. I want to behold the God that died on Calvary and gave his life that, that I could have eternal life. I want to kneel in his throne, the God that gave me beauty for ashes and took the troubled life that I was living in and gave me a life of hope and satisfaction. I want to tell you, someday I intend to see Jesus. And I'm 
preaching to some people that are here tonight that you need to fall in love with Jesus Christ. You need to fall in love with Him and love Him more than, than you love anything. If you don't learn to love Jesus, you'll never live for Him. If you don't ever learn to really love Him and to start communicate with Him in prayer and communicate with Him in worship. You will never make heaven your home. And so the number one thing that we need to do is we need to fall in love with Jesus. Hallelujah. I want to go to heaven number one because I want to see Jesus. But I want to admit to you tonight that that's not the only reason I want to go to heaven. That's not the only motivating factor in my life that causes me to go to church and causes me to preach the way I preach and causes me to do some of the things that I do. But I want to admit to you tonight there's another great motivating force in my life that causes me to want to be saved. And it's simply this. You're looking at a preacher tonight that does not want to go to hell. I don't want to die and be lost. I don't want to die and have a burning, seething, belching nightmare of a hell staring me in the face. The hell that so many people are going to face when they die without God. You're looking at a preacher tonight. I do not want to spend my eternity clawing against the black charred walls of hell and praying to a God that will not hear me. I've got to be saved. I will admit to you tonight that it has never left my life and my consciousness the fear of a place called hell. I am afraid of being lost. I am afraid of dying and not being prepared to meet God. I do not want to go to hell, and I have told my God in prayer, I've said, God, whatever you have to do for me to be saved, I've got to be saved. If you have to put me in a wheelchair, if I have to find myself in the twisted steel of an automobile accident, and my face be disfigured and my body be broken, I've got to go to heaven. If a, if a disease has to rage through my body and take all my strength and leave me nothing more than just skin and bones, I don't want to be lost. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to the place that is banished from the presence of God Almighty and be lost and undone forever and ever and ever. I don't want to go to hell. But the sad thing is, is I'm preaching tonight to a generation that does not really believe the message of hell. I'm preaching tonight to a world that they have tried to banish from their consciousness the existence of a place that is burning with fire and brimstone. It seems that the devil has jerked out of the minds of men and women. It seems that the devil has jerked out of the minds of gospel preachers the subject of a burning hell. You listen to religious stations and you'll have to listen a long time before you ever hear anybody mentioning a place that's burning with fire and brimstone. You'll have to listen a long time before you hear anybody get on the radio and, and tell you that if you're not saved, if you're not born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. But you're going to be in outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Our generation doesn't believe the message of hell. And it's not that it's not found in the Bible. 
I want to tell you, Jesus Christ was the greatest hell preacher that ever lived. He preached more about hell than he preached about heaven. He preached more about hell than all the prophets and the apostles put together. Every time that he got a group of people together, he had to stop long enough to warn them that there was a flaming, burning nightmare of a hell. Somewhere he would try to take the time to tell them of a place of destruction. I want to ask you a question tonight. How long has it been since someone told you where you were going? How long has it been since someone was good enough to tell you that you was headed to destruction, that you was going to hell? I want to tell you something, friend. We better wake up and realize that we're playing, uh, we're not playing games, but this is petite. It's easy for us to just uh, think, you know, that everything's going to turn out and everything's going to be all right and, and everything will change and everybody's going to find God. I'm preaching to people here tonight, if something doesn't happen, you are going to go to hell. I'm preaching to folks that are here tonight at this very moment. If you would drop dead in this building before we could drag your body out the back doors, your soul would be burning in hell. I've come to tell you tonight where you're going. I've come to tell you tonight that you are going to hell. You're headed there right now. You're on a death march tonight. You are marching toward the very judgment of God Almighty. You know, it's easy for us as church folks. I'm just going to confess to you tonight. For those that are around us, that are our kin, and those that are around us that, that, that hang around the church and become kind of like a fixture around the church that are not really ready to meet God. It's easy for us to just overlook their condition and, and not come to grips with the reality of where they are and what's going on. There are people that are being rocked to sleep in the cradle of our own churches. Some of our own loved ones are dying lost and undone. But yet we're not coming to the realization of it. And it's easy for us to rock our own children asleep in the cradle of our churches. It's time to sound a trumpet. It's time to realize that there are people sitting here tonight that are lost and undone. There are people here tonight while I'm preaching the long tentacles of hell are reaching for them. We could reverse the wheels of time and we could go back to the very beginning of every individual's life in this building. Wouldn't it be interesting to be able to look in that little hospital room or wherever it was and, 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 and watch and, and see as we came into the world? Wouldn't it be something to sit around and, and maybe be invisible but listen to everything that was said about us? Uh, can you imagine the question marks that comes in the mind of a mother or a dad when they bring a brand new baby into this world? Uh, I've never had any children, but I've often thought, what goes through the mind of a brand new parent as they think of a, a child that's coming to the world? No doubt they wonder, what, what kind of child is this going to be? When he grows up or when she grows up and she becomes a little lady or he becomes a young man, uh, what kind of life will he lead? Is he going to have a personality that everybody will like? Is, is he going to be a bright child? Is he, is he going to get an education? I wonder what kind of house he'll live in and will he be successful 
and will will he have a good job and will people like him and will he be honest or will he be a reproach will he be somebody that we are embarrassed to, to call our, our son or our daughter and but you know something of all the questions that was asked when we came into this world Friend, there would not be a more important question that could have been asked than simply this. Where will this soul spend eternity? Where will this soul live when it's all said and done and it's over with? I want to tell you that's the question that should have been asked. Where is this little baby going to live when it's all said and done and when he's passed down the halls of life and he ceased to exist in this present world and his soul drifts out into an endless eternity forever and ever and ever? Will he be shouting and praising God on the hills of glory? Or will he spend his eternity rolling and tumbling and screaming in the hot flames of hell forever and ever and ever and ever? And there's still nothing more important tonight in every one of our lives. Nothing more important. And where are we going to live? Where are we going? Where are you really going? Where are you really going? What's really happening in your life that nobody knows anything about? But you see, this subject of hell is something that no longer holds a fear in a lot of people's hearts. It's just something you hear about. It's just something that a preacher preaches about. It's become nothing more than just a fairy tale in, in some people's life. I mean, really. How can we say that we believe in hell when we're living the way we're living? How can a person actually say that they believe that the Bible is the Word of God and, and that there is a burning hell if they continue to living, live in sin and flaunt their sins in the face of God? How can people that are lukewarm and not ready to meet God that sit on our Pentecostal pews, how can they sit through service after service and refuse to pray and and I have no desire to touch God or talk to God and yet turn around and say that they believe the message of hell. How can a church say that they believe in hell? How can mothers say that they believe in hell when they go weeks on end without shedding a tear for a, a boy or a girl or a loved one, an uncle, an aunt, a daddy or a mama? How in the world can we live such cold and different lives if we really believe that there is a hell? I want to have us people go ahead and live after they get that phone call in the middle of the night and, uh, and there's a dead boy and, uh, and it's over with and his life has been snatched out into an endless eternity. I wonder how mama goes to bed and sleeps on clean sheets uh, when she knows that her boy is spending uh, his first night in hell. Uh, how does daddy go to the refrigerator and get a glass of cold water in the middle of the night uh, when he knows he's got a 16 year old girl uh, that's rolling and tumbling and burning in a belching hell forever and ever and ever. Do we really believe in hell? Do we really believe in hell? I'm here to tell you tonight that we can cast out of our mind the reality of a burning hell. We can close our mind and never think about it and act like it's going to go away. But you don't have to believe in hell to go there. You don't have to think about hell to go there. 
Oh, you can play like there is no God and there is no eternity and there is no reckoning day. But when you die, friend, hell is going to be just as real as, as it's ever been. This Bible is a book of fairy tales if there is no hell. The prophets were liars if there is no hell. The apostles were deceivers if there is no hell. Jesus Christ was the greatest imposter that ever lived if there is no hell. If there is no hell, friend, we need to burn our Bibles. We need to turn our churches into places of amusement. We need to build monuments to Voltaire and Thomas Paine and every atheist that's ever lived. Calvary with all of his cruelty and bloodshed was in vain if there is no hell. Hallelujah. But I am here to tell you tonight that there is a hell. 247 times in the New Testament alone, the Bible emphatically declares the existence of hell. The Bible speaks of this lake of fire. Lake of fire. Preaching revival meeting, place one time. Preacher's wife had a dream, and in this dream she saw her, her dad, and he was on fire. He was burning. He was a living torch. And uh, she saw the anguish on his face and heard his screams. And she woke up out of the night, tears rolling down her cheeks. And she went to the phone and called her daddy. He'd been around the church all his life and never lived for God. And, she told him, she said, Daddy, God gave me a dream tonight. I, I saw you on fire. I saw you burning. and I heard you scream. Daddy, you better get right with God. This is a warning from God. You, you, you need to get right. He laughed it off and said, Honey, don't worry. You, you've just had a dream. That, that's all it is to it. You've had a dream, and, and don't be disturbed. Everything's going to be all right with Daddy. He had brushed so many preachers off, and he had sent through so many services. He didn't really believe that, that it could be a dream from God. And so he, he just went on his merry way. And the very next week, if I remember the story correctly, uh, he went off and he, he was working on an oil rig. And, and there was an explosion and that oil rig was engulfed in flames. And he was in the middle of it. He jumped off that oil derrick and his clothes was on fire and his hair was on fire. And, and he knew that there was a, a slime pit by that oil rig. And he knew that... He could jump in that, that pit of mud and water that he could smother those flames out. And so he wanted to do that. And, but in his delirious condition, instead, instead of jumping into that pit of slime and water, he jumped into a pit of oil and gas. And as soon as his body was on fire, got in that area, and, and, and he jumped into that, that, that pit, there was an explosion, and that whole pit was engulfed in flames. Uh, he came to himself, and everywhere he looked, there was long-reaching tongues of fire. And, and he said it for the first time. He thought, my God, I'm in hell. I, I'm burning. And uh, he was watering in those flames and crawling around, and he finally managed to, to crawl out. And he started running, and he was screaming to the top of his voice, and a man saw him and ran after him and, and tackled him and began to roll him in the dirt. And then they took a blanket, I believe, and rolled him up and finally got the fire out. They took him to the hospital and 
he was burnt up. His, his left ear was burnt completely off. And both of his hands, his fingers were burnt off to nothing more than just nubs. And he, his body was completely disfigured and black and, and swollen. And, but uh, this is what he said. He said, when I woke up in that, that pit and, uh, and I looked around me and all I could see was flames. He said, the first thing I thought was... My God, I've died and, and I'm in hell. I'm burning. I'm lost forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That man went to church and he found God. And he sits on one of our Pentecostal pews now. If, if he has not passed on yet, and he's, got, he's missing an ear and he doesn't have fingers anymore, but he's just a monster-looking man that sits there. I want to tell you something. No, he didn't go to hell. Hell is worse than flames of fire and guffing your body for a moment's time. Hell is worse than getting your left ear burnt off and, and your fingers burnt off the nubs. Hell is worse than waking up in a hospital and, and your body charred and going through skin grafts and, and all the pain of that. Hell is worse than becoming a freak that everybody stares at and wonders what in the world has happened. Hell is not over in a moment, you see. Hell is not over in an hour. Hell is not over in a week or a month or a year, or 70 years. Hell is forever and ever and ever and ever where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Talking about going to hell. There was some way tonight that we could summon an angel into this building. How would to God that he could come and give this whole auditorium a personal tour through the halls of hell. I would to God that we could go down that dark passageway that leads to that nightmare of the universe. I wish that we could stand on the banks of that boiling, burning lake tonight, see the waves that are dashed high, and, and feel a little bit of the heat, and, and smell the horrifying smoke and, uh, that's coming off of that, that burning pit. You know, when you think about brimstone, you folks who was close to St. Helens, I believe it, uh, Brother Dugas told me, uh, when that mountain erupted, it shot fire and brimstone into the air 150 miles straight up. Can you imagine? Uh, brimstone is an active burning fire that, that shoots into the air and sprays and, and, and gives off a, cho a choking fume. Uh, but we could stand there and, and we could see it all and, and the bubbling and the seething of that, that terrible pit. Uh, the waves that are dashed high in that restless sea. And I imagine that we could retain our sanity if that's all we had to see. But you see, you've got to look beyond the wave that dashes high. You've got to look through the smoke. You've got to uh, bypass the smell of that horrible pit. And uh, you've got to look in the midst of all that that is tossed and turned and that is restless. And uh, you've got to see a human hand just like the hand that I'm holding up here tonight. Uh, as it breaks the wave and the surface and reaches up with a uh, liquid fire running off of it. 
it, reaching to grab hold of something to pull itself out, and, and there not be anything up there to, to get a hold of. You've got to listen and hear all the horrifying screams of countless millions. They're lost and undone without God forever and ever and ever. You've got to hear men scream for to die and, and curse God and say, My God, have mercy on us. You've got to hear wisdom as it its laughter echoes across the canyons of hell. You've got to see the harmonies of souls tossed and turned, helplessly lost forever and ever and ever. Way out there, ain't it? It's way out there. Oh, hell has moved up from beneath us to meet us at our coming. I'm looking at people here tonight that are frail. The strongest of us here tonight, our life could be broken like an eggshell. We could be dead before the sun rises. The shoes that you have on your feet, the undertaker could take them off tonight. Now that's true. Hell's not out there. It's right under us. There's a building program going on in hell. It's widened its gates to receive you. Because people, so many people are going there. So many people are crowding in to go there. And just to think about us that are here tonight, we know the truth. We know what it takes to be saved. I'm not preaching, I suppose, anybody here that's foreign to Bible salvation. Of anybody that should not go to hell. Nobody in this building should be lost and go to hell. Nobody in this building should leave this place without being prepared to meet God. I'm preaching to folks here tonight that's walking over hell on a rotten cover. I'm preaching to people that are here tonight that eternity's clock is running out of time. You're marching to hell and you're on your way to hell. And you're laughing and you're joking and <laughs> and nothing's moving you and nothing's stirring you and nothing's touching you. I don't have to pray. And all that time you're in the hands of a living God. The fiery eyes of God is looking down right here tonight and seeing everything that's going on. Don't push God in the corner. Young lady, young man, Sir, don't push God in the corner. Don't flaunt your sins in God's face and continue in the direction that you're going in until you march into the mouth of a burning hell. Wake up tonight and realize that God's reaching for you, that God's trying to save you, but at the same time, the greedy eyes of hell are focused in this building. The demons of hell are dancing around your soul, and they're trying to keep the music going, and they're trying to, to keep your mind preoccupied, and they're going to ha, 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 laugh at you, and, and say, don't do it, don't pray, go ahead and do what you're doing. How bad is hell? How, how bad is it for a soul to die and go to hell? How bad would it be if we rolled a casket down this aisle this week and had a funeral and knew that that soul died lost? How bad would it be for somebody to go to hell this week? 
Bible meeting in Hammond, Louisiana. There was a young man that man in the church got a burden for. This young man was uh, one of our grand, one, a grandson to one of our pioneer preachers. And uh, he got a real burden for this young man. And he worked with him on the job. And he told him about the revival. The young man hadn't came out any of the revival. But, but uh, it was on a Friday, and this man got a, a, a burden for this boy. And he told him, he said, son, said, you, you need to come out and find God. I just feel like that this is a special night, and you really need to come to church. And all day long, he worked on him, and he pled with him, and he begged. And finally, the young man said, well, I'll come out. And so he and a couple of more young people, they were all backsiders, three of them, drove to the church. And they had to drive about 40 miles, and I guess they misjudged their time, and they got there about an hour and a half early, and the church door was locked. They sat on the parking lot of the church for a little while, and then they decided that they would leave and drive about six miles to Ponchatoula to a 7-Eleven store and, and get them something to drink. Well, that young man stuck the key into the ignition of that car and that motor leaped into life and he drove out of the parking lot of that church. He didn't know, but he was making the most tragic mistake of his life. He didn't realize that he would never make it to that 7-Eleven store didn't understand that the automobile that he was driving would become the fiery chariot that ushered his soul into an endless eternity. While the sun was still shining, while it was evening time and almost church time, but the sun just about to go down, he didn't understand that he had never seen the sun set and he had never make it back to church. For some unknown reason, he ran a familiar stop sign that he had been he had passed by so many times before and. A man running at a fast rate of speed caught his car in the side and knocked it over into a ditch. And uh, I came upon the, the flashing lights as an ambulance raced off into the distance carrying two of these young people to intensive care. Uh, I got out of my car and I walked over to that automobile and I looked through the side window and on the other side except this teenage young man. His hands were folded like this in his lap. It was so shocking to see him sit there. It seemed that he was just passively sitting there. And I wondered at first, well, why is he sitting there? Why, why isn't he, uh, why didn't they take him to the hospital? Or why does he just sit there with, with his hands folded? I want to tell you that death can come so quick that you don't have time to even unfold your hands. Death can come and take your life out of this present world. Come to find out when I walked around to the other side of the automobile, I just got over there right in time and saw that his head was laying out the side of the window and it had had a coat on it and they took it off for a man to take a picture. And I looked and saw where that young man's head had been severed nearly completely off of his shoulders. The impact of that car wreck had slung his head out through that window and as the car was turning over him, his head caught on the corner post of a fence, and I looked and saw where part of the, his scalp was caught in the barbed wire of, of that fence. I looked at all of that, a horrifying scene, a sickening scene, and, and I recognized in the midst of that milling crowd that was gathered around that the, there was a dark, unseen stranger that came and, and ripped the very life out of the bosom of that boy. I went home that night after church, and uh, 
I laid on my bed in the darkness of my room and, and I wept and I cried and I said, Oh God, would you please tell me how bad is it for a soul to go to hell? I could still see in my mind that young man as he was laying there in, in his lifeless condition and that sickening scene. And I, I said, God, if you could give me a personal tour through the halls of hell, if you could show me the, the harmonious of dying loss, how bad is hell? It might be that, that I'd be able to preach more and be able to reach people better in the darkness of my room if God ever spoke to me he talked to me that night and he told me he said if I showed you hell and the way that it is you would not be able to retain your sanity you would not be able to continue living the way you're living you'd lose your mind your mind would snap if you knew the harmonious of being eternally lost forever and ever and ever and ever bad as hell the Lord said you preach it as hard as you can preach it you preach it as horrible as you can preach it and the words that fall from your lips will not adequately describe the horribleness of a soul being banished from my presence and going to hell if you want to hear about heaven open up this book and Paul will tell you a little bit about heaven. He'll tell you about getting caught up. John will tell you a little bit about what he saw. And he'll give you the dimensions of that place called heaven. But have you ever noticed that when you read about hell, Paul didn't tell us about it. And John didn't tell us about it. But Jesus Christ took the time to take the subject of hell and deal with it. It was Jesus that preached the most descriptive messages about hell. It was Jesus that said a rich man died and went to hell. Somebody said it was a parable, was it? No signs of it being a parable. The Bible says, he said it was a certain man. A certain man. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ said it's a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. A certain man lived his life and died and went to hell. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said, Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm burning in this flame. My God, I'm in hell. My God, I've died and I've lost. I'm in hell. Give me a little bit of relief. When the message came back from Father Abraham, it banished all hope. When Father Abraham said, Son, remember. All he asked was just a little favor, just a little drop of water. But you see, my friend, if you die and go to hell, there is no favors in hell. You can get your prayers answered tonight. You can get any sin under the blood tonight if you'll come and repent of it. You can find viable salvation tonight. It's 
not the will of God that any should perish. But if you fool around and die and go to hell, there'll be no prayer requests in hell. There'll be no prayers answered in hell. There'll be no favors in hell. You'll be lost forever. And how bad is it? How bad is it to go to hell? Jesus Christ said to go to an extreme to go to hell. But if your hand offend me, cut it off. I wonder if you could take it if I've got a saw and start cutting this hand, cut through the skin, muscle, bone, until this hand dropped to the floor, blood running out. Jesus said, if your hand offend me, cut it off. He said, if your eye would offend you, if some way your eye could cause you to go to hell, it would be better for you to take your finger and run in the back of your eyeball and rip it out of its socket and cast it through. It'd be better for you to go to heaven with only one eye than to go to hell with all your members. He said, if your foot offend thee, cut it off. It'd be better to go to hell with only heaven with only one foot than to go to hell with all your members. Some of you would be miles ahead if the hand of judgment would stop you. Some of you would be miles ahead if you just had one leg or one eyeball or the judgment of God would fall on you just enough to save you. Because if that doesn't happen, some of you, it looks like you're going to go ahead and march your way to the mouth of a burning hell. A woman got in a car wreck a while back and she was pinned in the wreckage of that automobile. Big men took and jerked the door open and started trying to pull her out and got her the top portion of her body out of that car, but her feet uh, was caught in the wreckage of that car. The dashboard area had came and wrapped itself around her feet. And big old men got in there and started ripping the dash out and trying to free her feet. But to their horror, there was an explosion under the hood and, and fire started spreading. And the heat got so intense that finally the last man had to back off and they left that woman there in that car. As the heat and the fire began to move toward that dash area, she began to feel the flames, and uh, her body was thrashing there on the pavement of that highway. Uh, she was screaming for somebody to help her, and the heat was so intense that nobody could. She finally thought of a hacksaw in her back seat, and she looked at a big man, and she said, There's a hacksaw in my back seat. Take that saw and, and cut my feet off. My feet's on fire. My feet's burning. My God, somebody help me. That man ran and grabbed that hacksaw out of that seat, but he couldn't stand to cut her feet off, and he finally dropped it. And in her hysterical condition, she grabbed that saw, and a, and a crowd watched as she started sawing through her ankle, and she sawed and sawed and sawed, and blood was running. She didn't lose her consciousness. She saw it until she literally sawed her foot off. And then she started with the other one without even a hesitation. And she sawed and sawed and sawed until she cut both feet off and she drug herself away from that wreckage, leaving a bloody trail. You see, how in the world could a woman do that? How in the world could a woman cut her own feet off? Her feet were on fire. Her feet were burning. You see, we don't understand that because our feet 
They've never been on fire. And we can't understand Jesus Christ saying, if your foot would offend thee, it'd be better for you to take it and cut it off and to go to heaven than to go to hell with all your members. You better go to an extreme to be saved. You better go to an extreme to be saved. Hallelujah. Jesus is saying whatever you have to do to escape hell, you better escape it. There's people here tonight that's marching to hell. There are people here tonight, you're going to be lost. And you're going to go to hell forever and ever and ever if something doesn't happen. But I wonder, can I turn you around? Or have you already made a turn in the wrong direction? Have you already made up in your mind that nothing's going to change you? And nothing's going to touch you. I could tell you a lot of stories tonight. I've preached to a lot of people for the last time. I could tell you about a 15-year-old girl in Biloxi that chewed and popped her gum and laughed and joked while she heard the most important message of her life. And while she was warned of what was going to happen, she walked out and died and went to hell. I could tell you about leaving that revival meeting and going to Sealsby, Texas preaching to a boy that was graduating from school. It was graduation week. And I stood in the pulpit and looked at him and begged him and pleaded with him and warned him of what was going to happen and told the very story that you have just heard, which was fresh on my mind then. And he walked out and two nights later got killed in an automobile accident in a drunken condition at a graduation party. I could tell you after that of another man, after I left there and went to Etowah, Texas, and an old man that had been around Pentecost all his life. I looked at him one night and told him, I said, Daddy, you don't have much time to serve God or get right with God. You've got six months to get right and time's running out. And uh, the pastor marked it on the calendar. And he told me at a conference after that, he said, that, that man... He never found God and in six months. He died and went out into eternity. I could tell you about two sisters that was in Loosedale, Mississippi, that God tried to reach. And, and uh, their dad begged them to get right with God, and, and they laughed it off, and they made fun. God gave me a dream on a Friday night, and I saw these two young ladies drowning. I went out in the water and tried to drag them in. I would drag one in and get her to the shoreline and go and get the other one. And while I was dragging the other one to the shoreline, this one that was sitting on the shoreline would on purpose fall back in the water. And, and I would get this one on the, sh on the shore and have to go and get the other one. I did that time and time again until I could not go anymore and both of them perished. That Sunday they died, drowned out in the ocean. And I, I could give you account after account. But I, I wonder, have you already made a turn have you made up in your mind that you're going to grit your teeth and close your eyes and, and you're going to march to hell and nothing's going to change you and nothing's going to touch you? Where are you going? Where are you headed? I want to ask you something. What are you going to do when you get there? What are you going to do when you've lived your last life, your last day, Maybe a doctor steps back from the bed and says, nothing can be done. 
You're fixing to meet a God that you never would pray to. You never would repent. How's it going to be? How's it going to be when you're laying there and you say, Preacher, how bad is it? And it's too bad to explain. Let's stand. In Macomb, Mississippi, when I tell a story, I'll give you a place and a time. And you can call and verify anything I tell you. In Macomb, Mississippi, a pastor by the name of Jerome Bourne, I was preaching revival there. A man came out one night. He didn't know much about Pentecost. Conviction touched his heart and tears filled his eyes. The pastor went back and tried to get him to pray. He had married a young lady that was raised in Pentecost all her life. And she had become familiar with the presence of God and had no respect for God. God touched that man that night and the pastor went back and told him he needed to come and pray. But the woman, she laughed and grabbed her husband up by the arm and said, come on, let's get out of here. So they left. About two weeks later, he was driving in New Orleans, Louisiana. There was a burning sensation that began to spread across his body, and with every minute it got more intense. He knew he had to do something, so he raced toward the closest hospital. By the time he got to that hospital and went up the ramp and got under that shed and jumped out. He was almost out of his mind. He ran into that emergency room screaming, My God, I'm burning. Oh God, I'm on fire. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. A team of doctors took him and began to examine him while he was screaming. They tied him down. and Before their very eyes, they watched his body as it started swelling and it turned as black as this book here. His tongue swelled out of his mouth and he was screaming, I'm on fire. And he cried and said, call that pastor in Macomb, Mississippi. They, he gave them the name and they called Brother Jerome Bourne and he told me the story how he raced down to that hospital. He got down there and he said, when I walked in the room, I saw a man that what I saw was unbelievable. His body had swelled up so big that his stomach had burst open and the fluids of his body had ran out on the floor. He said his fingers had swelled up so big that it looked like his fingernails was going to pop off. His tongue had swelled completely out of his mouth. And he was screaming, I'm on fire. I'm burning. I'm burning. That man died screaming, I'm burning, I'm on fire. They run an autopsy on him and they studied his body. Doctors from nine different countries flew into New Orleans and studied his body. And When they run that autopsy on him, they discovered that on the inside of his body, his bone structure was completely charred. And uh, they didn't know how to describe it. They'd never seen anything like this. And this is what they said. <clears throat> they said it looked like that his, the inside of his body caught on fire. 
and burn its way out. His bones were charred and it had burnt and blisters came up on his skin and his body burst open and turned black color. His tongue swelled out of his mouth and they said it looked like that he was a burnt victim except he caught on fire on the inside. I've often thought about that and I, I don't know what happened. They don't know what took place and, and I don't know what happened. But I've often wondered, God, was you giving us just a little preview of what it means to die and go to hell? Just for a, for a moment, did you allow us to see just a glimpse of what happens to a man when all of the sins of his life and the lust of his soul catches on fire and begins to burn with an eternal flame? Did you give us just a preview of hell? I don't know if he did or not. But I do know one thing. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Every head bowed and every eye closed it is time for some people under the sound of my voice to get right with God. You see, if you're not prepared to die tonight, if you died, you'd go to hell. It's not important what you profess. It's not important what you claim to be. It's not important what anybody would think if you come down here and pray. I want to tell you the most important thing is it's time to get right with God.